at night, if you walk around the town, you can come across a whole load of different animals. Cats, dogs, birds, bats. Certainly in the summer you can get some bats flying over your head. And maybe a fox or two. But can you imagine turning a corner and coming face to face with a lion? That's what happened a couple of weeks ago uh, to residents of an Italian seaside town just north of Rome. A circus was in town and one of their lions escaped. Don't know how the lion picked the lock and managed to get out, but that, that's still to be discovered. But for the next five hours, this lion prowled around that town as police and circus staff tried to catch him. The people from the circus, they tried to convince everybody that the lion is not a danger to anybody. It wouldn't attack anybody, they said. But as you can imagine, officials in the town, they weren't convinced and they warned everybody to stay indoors. And I think rightly so. Because I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo and you've been to the lion enclosure and even though there's maybe glass or or a cage in between you and the lion, it's still a terrifying sight to come face to face with one of these magnificent animals. They make us feel very small and very vulnerable. But if that's the case with a lion, then how much more should we be humbled in the presence of God? That's what happened to Job. Job suffered intensely when he suddenly lost his wealth and his health and his family. As a result, he was plunged into a deep struggle. His friends, they blamed him for his suffering. They said that he was suffering because he was hiding sin in his life. But Job knew that they were wrong. But that still left him with the question that many of us are familiar with. The question of why. Why is this happening to me? God, why do you let this happen? God, why would you, a good God, allow me to suffer so much? And so as we've read, as we've been studying this book of Job together, we've read how he protested his innocence. He argued his case. But he also went a little bit further. He put God in the dock. And he questioned God's justice. And he called on God to explain himself. In his final speech, in Job chapter 31, he declared this, I sound now my defence. Let the Almighty answer me. And finally, God did that. He answered Job. But it wasn't in the way that Job expected. And it didn't produce the outcome that Job imagined. Job did not get the answers that he imagined or demanded. Instead, he got a fresh vision of how great God is and how small he is. 
he recognised that God is God and I am not. So we are going to have a a quick look through uh, these chapters, chapters 38 right through to 42. So it's going to be a bit of a a whirlwind tour of these, these chapters. But we're going to start by reading chapter 38, verse 1 to 15, and Sheba's going to come up and she's going to read for us. So chapter 38, verse 1 to 15. Job out of the storm, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words to my knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off his dimension? Surely you know. Who sets a measuring line across it? Or what were its who takes it, or who makes its cornerstone. While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind those, when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it, and set it doors and bars in place, when I said, this far, may come and no further. Here is what your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges, and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under the sea. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their praise arm is broken. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sheba. In the previous 35 chapters that we've been looking at, when Job and his friends argued together, they all said things, some things, that were right. But they also all said some things that were wrong. So we have to be careful how we read those chapters. We can't just quote them as something for us all to automatically accept. Some of the things they said are good, some not so good. The chapters 38 to 41, they are different. That's because it's God that is speaking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. And God's words can always be trusted. And God's words are ultimately what we all need. Not the thoughts and ideas of people, even if they're wise and clever and learned like Job and his friends, but the revelation of God. That's what we need. And as he often did in the Old Testament, God here spoke out of a storm, a whirlwind, as a demonstration of his power. But today, God doesn't speak to us out of a storm, 
But he speaks to us through his word. As all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. And that's what we need to understand the truth. Not the ideas of experts or philosophers, but the inspired word of God. As we read the Bible, God speaks to us. But even more than that, we need the ultimate revelation of God. I wonder if you remember, if you were with us, when we were looking through the book of Hebrews, if you remember how it started. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is God's final and complete revelation. We don't need somebody else to come and supplement that or add to that or explain that. He is the incarnate Word of God. And so if we want to know God's truth, we just need to look to Jesus. So, this is God speaking in these chapters. But he didn't say what Job expected him to say. Job wanted God to answer all of his questions. He wanted God to explain why his life had fallen apart so disastrously. Why could he allow such injustice? Why was he suffering? But when God spoke, it was actually God who asked all the questions. Look at verse 2 as we read. Chapter 38. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. When people came up to Jesus with accusing questions, he often turned this around and then asked them questions that revealed their heart and challenged their ideas. And I think that's what God is doing here. He is questioning Job. Challenging what he said. Revealing that Job had spoken out of ignorance about God, about who he is, and about how he runs this world. And revealing that although Job did not suffer because he had sinned in his suffering, he did sin. He did say things he shouldn't have said. So he told Job to brace himself to get ready for this exam that was coming. And so for the rest of chapter 38 and 39, God questioned Job. There are probably about 15 sections of these questions. Split up into three larger sections. So we're not going to be able to look through them all in detail this morning. Maybe maybe tonight or this afternoon or maybe sometime during the week you can read this section in detail for yourself. But each of these sections, they challenge Job about who is in charge of this universe. 
God started with challenging Job about where he was when God purposefully and, and properly ordered this universe. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation, he says in verse 4. His challenge was that if God had put this world together so wonderfully that all the angels shouted for joy, then who was Job to think that he, how, to think that he could question how his world was ordered? God also spoke about the sea here. About how he placed boundaries for the sea. So verse 11, Thus, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. In the Bible, the sea is often a symbol of disorder, of danger, of death. Picture of evil and disruption. And disorder. So God allows evil and suffering into his world. We can see the result of all of that in, all around us. But he has set boundaries for it. He says to evil and suffering, this far you may come and no further. Do you remember how God said that to Satan in chapter 1 and 2? About this far you can, you can attack Job, but no further. But even that will not be always the case. Because one day evil will be destroyed. Verse 13, Job can't give orders to the morning that it might take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it. Job can't do that. But God can. And God will. One day, God will speak light into this world and banish all of the darkness. A day we all look forward to. Secondly, God challenged Job about his control of the sky. This included his control over snow and hail, which he says, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle, in verse 23. Also talks about destructive forces of lightning and wind, life-giving rain and bone-chilling ice and frost. Job wasn't in control of any of those things. But God understands why, when and where all of those things come from. And that's the same about the stars and the constellations and the clouds as God goes on to talk about. So no wonder David in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Then thirdly, God challenged Job about his understanding and control of the animal kingdom, especially of wild animals. So if you look at chapter 38, verse 39, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? Chapter 39, verse 1, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Verse 19, do you give the horse his strength? Verse 27, does the eagle soar at your command? Job, if you remember, he used to be a farmer. He had sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. 
He had a level of control over them. They were domesticated animals that served him. But he had to concede that these wild animals, they were outside of his care and control. He was not the ultimate ruler of the world. God was. This world still speaks to us about God. The book of Romans in chapter 1 says this, Since the creation of this world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God's creation still tells us how great our Creator God is. But I think these examples also teach another powerful lesson. God claimed that he was the one who provided food for the lions and for the ravens and the hawks and the eagle. But he did this through the suffering of others. Near the end of this chapter 39, he said this about the eagle. He says, his young ones feast on blood. Lovely, encouraging, eh? And yet, that's the food chain that we learned at school. Remember all the food chain and all of the, the animals that would feed on each other? That's just, that's just nature. If you watch a David Attenborough film or documentary, that's what they'll, they'll focus on. But God is saying this is how he has ordered his world. One lives through the death of another. And maybe this is to show us a deeper truth. That the ultimate gift of life comes through the suffering of another. Job struggled with the apparent unfairness of him as an innocent man suffering. But his suffering pointed forward, foreshadowed the suffering of the ultimate innocent man, Jesus who would die on a cross for us. So Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds we have been healed. That's what we've been singing about this morning, isn't it? That's what we've been remembering in our time of communion. That Jesus is son of suffering. He died so that we might live. So God asked Job all of these questions. And he invited Job to give him his answers. But look at how Job responded. We need to jump into chapter 40, verse 4. This is what Job said. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I'll say no more. Job recognized that compared to God, the ruler of the world, he was so small and so unworthy. Because of that, he didn't want to speak anymore. 
Before this, Job had lots to say. Job is a very long book, long chapters, long speeches, very poetical, very eloquent. Chapter after chapter, Job complained about what was happening. He gave out about the injustice of his situation. He accused God that he was not running the world properly. But now, he put his hand off his mouth. Didn't want to say anything more. In the presence of the creator and sustainer of this world, he had no words to argue his case. But that wasn't enough for God. God wanted to take Job further than this. So he again called him to get ready for another, a second round of questioning. And this time he spoke more directly about what Job had done. So look at verse 8 of chapter 40. Verse 8 says this, Would you discredit my justice? This is God speaking to Job again. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like His? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. In his suffering, Job was tempted to think that he had the right to question God. To criticise his actions. To complain about his decisions. In his eagerness to prove himself innocent, he'd been tempted to condemn God. But here God challenged him. Can you really step into my place? Can you really do my job? Can you really come and be the judge of this world? Can you really rescue the righteous and punish the wicked? Can you impose justice on this world and save yourself? I think the answer is obvious. It's a bit like this movie, Bruce Almighty. don't know if you've seen this one. Uh, from a guy called Jim Carrey plays a TV reporter who complains so much to God that God gives him the power and the opportunity to run the world himself. It's a bit of an irreverent movie, so I'm not recommending it. Please take, don't, don't be going off and re- watching it this, this afternoon. But it does show how ridiculous it is to think that we as human beings can run this world. That we would do a better job than God would. And to emphasize his point, God spoke at length about two creatures, two monsters. Verse verse 15 of chapter 40, look at that behemoth. And then chapter 41, verse 1 and on, can you pull the Leviathan with a fish hook? The behemoth and the leviathan. 
Now, there's so many different ideas about this. Uh, so many conflicting, contradictory ideas. Some people think that these are describing, with a bit of poetic license, real animals that are around today. The typical one is the behemoth is a hippopotamus and the leviathan is a crocodile. That's what some people think. Other people think that these are prehistoric animals, dinosaurs that were around in Job's day, but are now extinct. And others think that they're mythological creatures, storybook creatures, that God used to symbolise death and the devil. And certainly, if you look at the description of Leviathan, and then look over in Revelation chapter 12, where John describes Satan as the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, maybe you can see there's a similarity between the Leviathan and how Satan is described. But whatever answer you come up with, and my answer is simply, I don't know. I don't, so I'm not, sorry, I can't give you the, 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 the absolute answer of this. I just don't know what the, they really are. But whatever answer we come up with about this, Job seemed to get what God was talking about. It made sense to Job. And the point was that no person can tame those things. They are powerful and terrifying monsters that nobody can control. But they are God's creatures. So they're under God's control. About the behemoth, God says he ranks first among the works of God. Yet his maker can approach him with a sword. Verse 19 of chapter 40. And then about the Leviathan, he said, no one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. So people have to humble themselves before the power and the strength of the behemoth and the Leviathan. How much more should they humble themselves before God, the one who created those creatures. So whatever these creatures are, I think the message is really clear. However terrifying and dangerous they are, God is more powerful. He is more strong. He is in control. He is sovereign over this world. And that was a powerful message for Job. Because Job had experienced the terrifying impact of evil and suffering. He couldn't protect himself or his family from that. He was not in control in this world. Yet however overwhelming it was, however meaningless it felt, God was in charge. The powerful forces that attacked him were under God's control. They were accomplishing God's purpose and God's plan. 
So although none of us can defeat the powers of evil and suffering in this world, symbolized by the behemoth and the leviathan, God can and God will. One day evil will be overcome. One day suffering will come to an end. One day Satan will be defeated. This morning we've celebrated this reality. Because this victory over evil and suffering was won at the cross. A beautiful song that we sang this morning. It is finished. It is done. At the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Of course, we're still willing, waiting for the, the full expression of that, to enter into that in its fullest sense. But it's coming. And it's guaranteed by the cross of Jesus. And next time in Job, we're going to look at the end of the, this, this book and see that it's been foreshadowed so wonderfully by Job's restoration. I'm not sure how much of all of this that Job understood. But he understood enough. Have a look at how he responded. Chapter 42, verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job had always been a believer in God. He'd heard about God and he trusted in God. That's why God could say about him that he was blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But now, Job saw God with much greater clarity. His, and he better understood God's power and God's wisdom. And as a result, he bowed before God in renewed reverence. Verse 2 of chapter 42, I know that you can do all things, Job said about God. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. This was God's answer to Job's questions about evil and suffering. God is God, and we are not. He works out everything in conformity with His will. But we don't have the understanding, or the knowledge, or the wisdom, or the perspective to analyze His will and to judge it, to condemn it. We just can't see enough, understand enough to do that yet. We can't judge him because his purposes and his plans are higher and greater than our minds can take in right now. And so Job repented. Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In the presence of God. Job realized how wrongly he'd spoken of him and he repented of it. This was Job being restored into a right relationship with God. Back to that life of wisdom that we were looking at last week. Reverence 
and repentance. Fearing the Lord and shunning evil. Back to accepting who God is and humbling ourselves in worship and dependence and trust. And folks, that's where we need to get to. When we struggle with the reality of evil and suffering in this world, we may think that we need to know why all of those things happened. We may want to understand what God is doing so we can decide whether it's good or not. But instead what we need is to be restored into a right relationship with God. We need to see again that God is God and we are not. See Him as the ruler of this world. The designer, the creator, the sustainer of life. The one who is in charge even of the monstrous and terrifying forces of evil and suffering. That He is the one who works out everything in conformity with His will. And His will is always good and pleasing and perfect. It's always greater and higher than we can fully understand. So we need to humble ourselves before Him and trust Him. And how can we do this? Well, like Job was was instructed by God, we can look around at this world, this incredible creation around us. But we can do something even better than that. We can look at Jesus. The one who said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. It's when we fix our eyes on Jesus that we see the true power and wisdom of God, not displayed in in incredible acts of strength and might, but in the apparent weakness and helplessness of the cross. Because it's at the cross we see Jesus defeating the powers of evil, bringing life from death. Fulfilling his good purpose through the evil actions of others. Doing more than we could ever have asked or imagined. So if this is who our God is, then surely we should humble ourselves before him. Trust him with all of the struggles and all of the difficulties that we go through. All of our unanswered questions we can leave in His hands and hold on to the assurance of His unconditional and unchanging love. Trust in this wonderful reality that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose.